Welcome to Neighbor Up Spotlight. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today. Neighbor Up Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections and the City of Cleveland Minority Arts and Education Fund. Neighbor Up Spotlight showcases citizens making positive contributions to their neighborhoods in our city. My guest today is Mr. Randell McShepard, Vice President of Public Affairs and Chief Talent Officer for RPM International Incorporated. Born in Cleveland, Ohio, and raised in the Lee Harvard neighborhood, he graduated from John F. Kennedy High School, home of the Mighty Eagles, where he is honored as a Hall of Fame inductee. After graduation, he attended Baldwin-Wallace University, receiving a bachelor degree in psychology and communications. After Baldwin-Wallace, he graduated from Cleveland State University, Maxine Goodman Levin College of Urban Affairs, receiving a Master of Science degree with a focus in organizational leadership. Corporate executive, philanthropist, community champion, civic and business leader, mentor, trailblazer, author, cultural and political influencer, urban farmer, environmentalist, and entrepreneur. A man with many irons in the fire. His sincere concern for others, along with commitment and dedication, have inspired him to create programs and opportunities for others. He is co-founder of Ridall Green Partnership, co-founder of the Think Tank Policy Bridge, and he has served as chairman and board member for many organizations, Baldwin-Wallace University, the Sisters of Charity Foundation, Taylor Oswald, and the Community Service Alliance, to name a few. Recognized for his outstanding contributions, he has received numerous awards and recognitions. In 2019, he received the Business Volunteer Unlimited Richard W. Pogue Civic Leadership Award, In 2018, Cleveland Magazine honored him as Community Leader of the Year. In 2011, the Black Professional Association and Charitable Foundation honored him with the Black Professional of the Year Award. Mr. McShepard is an accessible, encouraging, and inspirational individual whose contributions have had a significant and positive impact locally and globally. He and his family are members of the historic St. James AME Church, located in the historic Fairfax neighborhood. And he lives in Beechwood, Ohio, with his wife, Gail, their three children, and he is a member of the Neighbor Up Network. Welcome, Mr. McShepard. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) I'm afraid to speak after all that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am so glad you're here. I'm I'm excited. Now, you are, if I may say, the cornucopia buffet of good in the hood. (laughs) Your life experiences touch on every leadership category that you spoke on at the City Club, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's a lot that we got to get to, so let's get started. Okay. What is RPM International Incorporated, and what do they do? RPM International Incorporated is a worldwide chemical coatings company headquartered in Medina, Ohio. Mm-hmm. We are a holding company. We own 80 companies worldwide wow. that manufacture uh, protective coatings, coatings for steel, coatings for boats and ships, coatings for food, coatings for furniture. Okay. Um, we are about 70% industrial focused, but we do have a consumer segment. So we own Rust-Oleum spray paint. We own DAP, which is a caulk that you put around your bathtub. Yes, or your which window. I've used. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your business. <laughs> yes, I have. We also own Dayglow Color right okay. here in Cleveland, yeah. uh, over on uh, just a block over on uh, St. Clair. Uh, real quick thing about Dayglow. Their number, they make neon color pigments, and their number one customer is Tide. They make the orange and the Tide detergent bottles. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so 
So uh, it's a great company. Been around since 1947, and I've been there 19 years. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, as vice president of public affairs and chief talent officer, what are your responsibilities? Well, I wear a few hats. As vice president of public affairs, I oversee the um, corporate philanthropy program and budget. I also do a lot of uh, federal lobbying work uh, in Washington, D.C., primarily, a little bit in Columbus. I am currently serving as the chairman of the what's called the Manufacturing Advocacy Council for the National Association of Manufacturers. Yes, I read that. Which yeah. is the largest trade association in the country. Wow. So we talk directly to members of the House and the Senate about legislation that affects uh, manufacturing uh, businesses. That's excellent. Yeah. So um, then I'm also... Uh, very involved in corporate purchasing, procurement work, getting all of our companies to buy supplies and um, goods and services from, you know, the same company versus splitting it out and spreading it out and losing economies of scale. And then finally, as chief talent officer, I'm responsible for the care and feeding, if you will, of the top 200 executives worldwide. Wow. So executive training, uh, succession planning, preparation, uh, executive coaching, uh, all those kinds of things, just making sure that they get everything that they would need to get to that next level. That's awesome. That is incredible. And it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So now what are some of the philanthropic programs at RPM? We give to four primary uh, areas. We give to uh, education as our number one focus. Uh, Health and human services will be second. Uh, Arts and culture uh, will be third. And uh, we do a little bit with the civic space. Um, we have many claims to fame. Uh, one that I'm very proud of is RPM and our CEO was the driving force that created the John Hay School of Science and Medicine. Yes, I was going to mention that. And that is a school that was not in existence, uh, until we sort of came around and got that off the ground. It's now, uh, one of the, has been one of the top urban high schools in Ohio, recognized by the U.S. News World Report. And uh, every single student that graduates has been accepted to college. Wow, that's wonderful. They have more uh, kids from that high school going to Ivy League colleges than any other high school in the district. And um, my CEO was the founding, uh, you know, board chair and uh, put a lot of his own resources on the table to make that happen and uh, ensured that RPM stayed involved. So I am now the last uh, founding board member still okay. on the board some 14 years later. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's it's a great testimony to uh, the power of partnership. Absolutely. And, uh, to bring Cleveland Clinic, UH, Metro, the medical school at Case, you know, business community, parents all together to sort of create this model high school right. and to see it thrive has right. really been uh, wonderful. And all the students that you have... Uh, had a positive impact on. Absolutely. That is just incredible. Yes. So now, who or what has been your inspiration to give back to your community? Uh, who uh, would probably start with my mother, who yeah. was always very giving, um, although she was a single parent uh, and uh, we didn't have a lot growing up. She was always trying to help others and very unselfish that way. So I think I, I learned that from her. I'm also uh, a man of faith, and I believe that to uh, whom much is given, much is required. And I, um, being a lifelong Clevelander and being in a position to help, I just realized that some of us that receive those blessings choose to uh, look back and put a hand to reach and pull others up and others uh, get more content with the success of uh, whatever they're doing and sort of forget maybe where they came from or forget the community. So I've always been uh, 
I've always been in love with Cleveland, proud of Cleveland. Yes. And uh, as a result, I've always had a real itch to uh, try to address and improve what's wrong with Cleveland. Right. And uh, that has really driven me from my very first job out of college where I was working in vocational guidance services, helping disabled and disadvantaged Clevelanders okay. to, to get game, training and gainful employment. Yeah. And then started a program. I helping. love their thrift store. It's one of my favorite oh, there places. You go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's That's one of right. my favorite spots. That's exactly yeah. right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, started all there and just kept pushing from that point forward. Yeah. Well, like my mother and father used to always teach me, you got to make it better for the folks coming behind you. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I was raised. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, what inspired you to found Policy Bridge? Ah, great question. <laughs> uh, a fellow named Tim Goler, now Dr. Tim Goler. Yes, and I've met Mr. Goler. Oh, okay. He had the school over on Shaker Boulevard. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so he's now relocated back to uh, uh, Virginia where he went to college. I think he's teaching at his uh, former uh, alma mater. But uh, Tim and I were in graduate school together. And we would have these v very powerful discussions after class about what we were learning and what we were seeing. And we sort of at the same time came to the agreement and the conclusion that Cleveland was missing something. Mm -hmm. And from a public policy perspective, we said, you know, it looks like as we do a scan of the city of Cleveland, our neighborhoods are flooded with programs, mm -hmm. you know, programs to serve any type of challenge or need. Very true. And that's very important. But we yeah. said, um, if you think about it, programs are derivatives of public policy. Mm -hmm. So someone in Columbus or Washington is making the decision about the amount of money that is handed down for education, the amount of money that is handed down for economic development, the amount of money that is handed down for health. And uh, who's minding the store for our community at that level? Right. And that was the question that we asked ourselves. And we said we couldn't find anyone. Uh, so we said maybe that's a space that we should uh, explore. And uh, we took a trip to D.C. and met with some of the preeminent think tanks, the Brookings Institute, mm -hmm. the, the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies, uh, met with the founder of that institution who was there for 40 years, uh, uh, Williams, uh, Eddie Williams, I believe his name was. And um, uh, they all said there's lots of think tanks out there, minority think tanks, but we can't think of any that are focused on public policy. Uh -huh. So we think you all have a niche. Okay. So we came back and uh, we also felt, Carol, that um, the, um, in the, at that time in the Cleveland community, it seemed that when media wanted a perspective on any challenge or uh, going on in uh, our communities, they would only reach out to one of two uh, constituents. They would talk to elected officials right. or they would talk to clergy. Right. And we said, we said those are two critical and very important uh, you know, groups. However... There's lots of other smart people that have uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, exactly. you know. So we said, wouldn't it be great if we could create a, a think tank uh, comprised of a nonprofit director, a teacher, a lawyer, a, a doctor, a housing specialist, uh, you know, et cetera. And imagine if everyone looked at a, a certain problem in our community from all those different lenses, how right. much more rich the conversation would be. And ultimately, the re resolutions would, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, you know, grow from that. So all of that led us to, you know, uh, roll up our sleeves and to formally establish Policy Bridge. And um, now 16 years later, I'm, I'm glad we did. Well, I, I'm so glad that I, you know, I didn't know about it. I'm so glad that I do now. Oh, great. And I definitely want to encourage our listeners to go to the website yes. and read the reports. Because Lots the reports of them there. That you, you gave me, I read all three of them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank I read you so all much. three reports. Yes. And I think it's very, very, very important, which leads me to my next question. Sure. Why is this publication necessary and extremely important? The, uh, the, the publications that we release, yes. why are they important? Well, 
newspaper articles uh, sort of touch on um, certain issues in a way that, you know, can be powerful. But people typically read the paper, they shake their head, they put the paper down, and then they kind of open up the paper the next day. And there's another issue that they read about and they shake their head. And we thought that if we could aggregate more data around specific areas, uh, so so we decided to pick five focus areas for Policy Bridge, economic development, workforce development, education, neighborhoods, and health disparities. So we said each with each of our reports, we will delve into one of those areas, do extensive research, and then not only uh, tell a story about what's wrong, but to also offer up recommendations for what could be done. So it's not just about lamenting about all the problems that are wrong, but right. it's also providing solutions. solutions. Right. And uh, some of the solutions that have come from uh, these reports have been quite exciting. But we just think that it's time for us as a community. We, we felt 15, 16 years ago, and we still feel the same way today, that our community has to own up to these issues. We have to be knowledgeable. Right. Right. We have to learn to speak in the way that powerful people speak, business leaders speak, elected officials speak. Um, and a lot of it has to do with... Um, you know, understanding what drives the motives and the decision-making process for some of those other stakeholder groups. So our very first research report was titled Untapped Potential. And it was focused on African-American men Mm -hmm. and the fact that we all know the statistics, you know, one out of every three is probably going to wind up in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. You know, um, at that time, uh, the statistic was that 80% of the uh, people that were being released from state prisons were coming back to Cuyahoga County. Right. And, uh, the majority of them were coming, you know, to uh, Cleveland neighborhoods. And um, so, you know, what do you do about that? So that report basically made the case for the business community that this is not a moral lament. This is an economic imperative. If we don't figure out how to plug these men back into meaningful employment uh, to then add to the tax base and improve quality of life, we either all will rise or we all will fall. Right. And uh, all of our reports sort of have a similar theme, you know, be it, you know, the impact of health care or the impact of uh, education or lack of investment in education or, you know, uh, what's happening in the neighborhoods and how do we think about housing and uh, quality of life in neighborhoods. Yeah, they're, they're, your reports are very thorough. Yes, we try they're to be. Very thorough, a lot of information. And again, I want to reiterate, I encourage people to go to the Policy Bridge website yes. and read the reports. That's right. There's They're 15, profound, 16 yeah. of them there to read, so yeah, it's a lot. And I, lot. I reviewed yes, yes, <laughs> all yes. of them. I liked the, 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 the first paragraph to get an idea. Yeah, and then yeah. when you sent me these reports, I, I read all of them. Well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. So now, what do you want citizens, and in particular African-American citizens, to know about Policy Bridge and why should they should engage this information that you're sharing with them? We want them to know that Policy Bridge doesn't have an agenda. Mm. Randy McShepard isn't trying to be mayor. Uh, you know, uh, we we simply want to educate our communities about right. these issues right. and uh, encourage them to um, consider the importance of data. Because yes. one of the things we we talked about at the at the very beginning was that. People oftentimes, when they were would be asked about issues in the African American community, they would talk about their opinion, right, or how they felt about a particular issue, and that's right. only going to take you so far. But Correct. the numbers don't lie, right? So, um, we, you know, people, it, it as they say, uh, you know, we want to be woke as a community. Right. Um, one way to stay woke is to you know pay attention to the trends, the data, w- where is it headed, w- what is it pointing to. Uh, what what are the changes? What are the setbacks? I mean, and all of that right. can be well captured uh, by the use of data. Um, we also believe that uh, my hidden agenda 
and I know we'll get to this later, I always used to say that uh, more than anything, I wanted to uh, initiate what I called a civic awakening of the next generation of yes. leaders because I just felt that the younger leaders, you know, those that were sort of on the front lines for us in the black community in Cleveland would all tell stories about the civil rights movement. Right. And, of course, we all know that was very important and critical and it shaped, you know, what we are all experiencing today. But right. for younger people, that may lose some of its luster and uh, they're sort of wanting to talk about today. And, right, because that was way back then. Yeah, that was way back then. That was my great-grandfather's right. uh, struggle, you right. know. And so... Uh, if that's the case, then what is your solution? How do you go about organizing and uh, thinking about these problems and sharing information and, and pulling people together to work collaboratively? Um, we think that Policy Bridge offers that. And, and because we offer recommendations, not that we're saying those recommendations are the panacea, but we think that it tees up important questions that right. groups can come together and sort of wrestle with and then go their own way uh, with whatever course of action they choose. Exactly. So now, tell us about your speech at the City Club. I, I pulled ah. that up and I, I watched it. I loved it oh, <laughs> in the presentation well, thank you. Thank of you. the Policy Bridge Report, Missing in Action, an analysis of black leadership and challenges that impede success and impact. That's a very serious statement right there. Oh, yeah. About the yeah. truth. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I was glad uh, and, and felt blessed for the opportunity to give the speech at the City Club because when the article or the, the report was first released, uh, the city was just a buzz. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't say that uh, everyone was excited uh, <laughs> about the report. And uh, people were very um, uh, all over the place, shall we say, in terms of how they interpreted the report. You know, yeah. um, as you can imagine, as I talked about in the at the city club, mm -hmm. you know, the first reaction that people had was, well, who, who, who in the hell is Randy McShepard? What, <laughs> what, what gives him the right, right to talk right. about black leadership? Right. And exactly. uh, how dare he do this? And right. um, uh, we don't know if he uh, knows enough about this topic or if he's, uh, you know, uh, wh wh where did he grow up anyway? And well, uh, I, I'm just one person. I can say I read it and you were on point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I appreciate that. Mo most, most people concede that. Yeah. Nothing in that report was uh, a falsehood. It was I mean, on point. It's, yeah. it's, it's factual information. It's yeah. just, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yes. And um, I felt that because of all the things I've been involved with and being the only one in the room so many times, times. you know, and uh, you watch the years go by. And uh, Frank Jackson said something to me 20 years ago, 25 years ago. He said, Randy, you know. If you're not careful, you'll you'll wake up 20 years from now and realize you're working, you're having the exact same conversation that you had 20 years ago, and and no truer words have been spoken. So, uh, while that might be true, I just felt like I'm not going to be the guy that's going to have the same conversation and not be able to point to something that I at least tried to do or some truth I tried to tell or some initiative or program I tried to launch or whatever right. the case may be. Um, uh, Policy Bridge uh, always. Uh, in addition to writing reports, we used to always have community forums. And uh, we once brought a gentleman, uh, Douglas Wilder, who's the first African-American sure, governor from absolutely, Virginia. Yes. So yes. he came and spoke for us at the city club. And as I took him to the airport he, uh, that afternoon, he said something very compelling. He said, Randy, you know, for all of us, the real thing that we have to wrestle with is when our grandkids are sitting on our lap and they're looking at the history books and all the challenges of our day, 
and they turn around and look you in the eye and say, well, well, Papa, where were you when, when all this was going on? You know, mm-hmm. what, what answer will we ha- all have to, to give our, our grandkids? Right. And uh, that's the way I look at it. You know, um, I am very happy about the fact that I told the truth about where we are as a black community. Yes. If we want to see progress, we have to stop sweeping things under the rug. Uh, we've been number one in too many uh, challenging areas for far too long. No, number one in childhood poverty, number one in lead poisoning. Yes. You know, the, the decades of uh, ill repair with uh, the, the Cleveland schools. I mean, yes. I could go on and on. on. And, exactly. and and we, we have to take these issues on and be bold and courageous and truthful because if you don't, people will just dance around it and then... As to the mayor's point, 20 years Is later, you'll be having the same conversation, same conversation with again. no changed outcomes. That's right. Know? Same so, conversation again. Yeah. So that's um, that's why I was excited about uh, the opportunity to to further delve into why leadership is important. The four categories of leadership that I talk about, you know, neighborhood leadership and business leadership and civic leadership and right. political leadership. I think that the black community, uh, perhaps, uh, I, I think that um, having the first black mayor probably helped but hindered us you know in this regard that mm-hmm. we became so consumed with political power that i think we took our eye off the prize as it related to economic power right so um and i i think back to all the conversations i used to have with people that would say well I, you know i can talk to my council person i can get to lou stokes i could get to the mayor you know yeah, and lou's uh, my councilman <laughs> oh yeah oh there you go yeah, yeah. And, and and i'm sorry go ahead they were all great uh Leaders and 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 certainly uh, were accessible, yeah. but that wasn't the only channel yeah. that we should have been uh, exploring to to solve problems. And um, I think we took a lot of comfort in if I have a problem, I can talk to my elected official, and it stops there. And my whole point of missing in action is, meanwhile, there's business leaders making decisions about what's happening in our neighborhoods. That's there's right. civic leaders making those decisions. And then there's community leaders oftentimes that aren't feeling heard that have some of the best ideas of all. So how do right. we ensure that all of those are brought forth in a way that's not intimidating or in a way that's not, uh, you know, and, and as I said, you know, I've talked to young people that said, well, you know, when I speak out, you know, my, my someone threatened my job or, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. so we really sort of had this iron fist sort of a, you know, approach to keeping people in their place, so to speak. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, I felt like, uh, I being a public sector guy, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I'm I'm not beholden to anyone, you know. I'm I can say what what needs to be said. I'm, right. you know, and and my think tank has always based its work on um, again data. So I'm not giving you anything that's you know that's your opinion. Yeah, you're giving right. fact. That's right. Right, you're giving fact. So uh, yeah, so that that yeah. it was it was a great great opportunity. Uh, it sold out. The city club uh, sold out within five days of announcing wow. my uh, and there was like eighty people on the waiting list wow. and. Uh, so that was, uh, it just showed that there's a lot of interest in this topic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just a fact correction, uh, Congressman Lewis Stokes, he was my neighbor. Okay, okay. <laughs> on Albion Road. Oh. But the one thing about him, every time I called him, he called me back. Oh, absolutely. He, he always was the best. called you back. He was the he best at that. He was the best. Mm-hmm. So now what has been, because this was a really interesting part, because this is coming up now. I was listening to NPR a couple weeks ago. Yes. It was mentioned in terms of uh, the, the uh, disinformation campaign via yes. social media. Let let me read the question yes. <laughs> before I get all excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What has been the impact of the disinformation campaign via social media on the African-American community around the issues of voting and social justice as outlined in the Missing in Action report? Well, I, as we say in the report, um, 
the facts are now becoming more and more clear because we're seeing already that, yes. you know, they're finding that Russian interference is sort of creeping up again. But yeah. it was just mind-blowing how deliberate they were about uh, misinformation, um, creating fake, uh, uh, you know, Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts that had, you know— Hashtag, hashtag to, yeah, you know, to draw African Americans. Black in. Lives Matter yeah. and hashtag this and that and yeah. uh, and and, and uh, saying negative things about Hillary Clinton and saying that you know negative things about the police and just trying to create this discord. Right. And um, there was one statement on Facebook that got a lot of attention that said that um, uh, for Hillary Clinton, um, Black Lives Don't Matter, only votes matter for her, and you know so. Um, you juxtapose that kind of messaging to what actually happened in the election, and right. you learn that places like Milwaukee and Philadelphia and uh, you know Detroit had extremely low black voter turnout. Yeah, and uh, those three states—Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania—were states that had been typically won by Democrats, but uh, President Trump was able to, by a, a small margin, win those states, which is essentially ushered him into the presidency. So yeah. the campaign, and, and, you know, by all indications, uh, actually the, the, the misinformation campaign worked. Yes. And um, so uh, right now I think we're seeing it again. You know, now they're saying that um, perhaps the uh, the plan is to get Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I was uh, watching the, uh, yeah. the debates. I didn't watch the debates <laughs> yeah, but, uh, last night. but yeah, it's uh, very I, colorful. I, yeah, but I understand it was very colorful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's, it's a mess. And... Um, yeah. I think uh, par part of uh, why I opened up the report talking about that particular piece was that it made me wonder, where do people of color uh, turn when they need information? Yes. And if they feel locked out of so many other spaces, right. uh, do they take a lot more comfort in social media? Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I would agree. I mean, yeah. I... I, I uh, you know, you, I go on Facebook and I see and people feel free and comfortable yes. to express their opinions yes. in the hopes that others see those opinions and, you know, either, you know, share or agree or disagree and spark right. conversation. Right. But you're absolutely correct. I'm like I said, I was listening to NPR two weeks ago and just briefly that they touched on the subject of the fake hashtag sites right. created by, you know, supposedly Russian, you know, Russian bots. Mm -hmm. And uh, but they only gave it a millisecond of attention right right millisecond of attention right which took me my mind back to your report i'm like man this is a major subject right that right. our community needs to know about exactly exactly yeah. and uh it unfortunately got lost in the fact that you know uh people believe that that's just chatter to uh challenge the validity of you know president trump's uh you know w winning the race right uh, it's it's an effort to discount you know um his efforts and that that's not at all what this is about it's right. about you know if it's if all the intelligence community is saying for a fact that they know exactly I mean, obviously they have the tools right. to ascertain whether or not there's meddling taking place if they're Correct. all saying it and we know that that information oh by the way was directed more to African-American communities than any other the demographic, group. even right. conservative groups. Right. So that tells you there's a real plan. Right. Uh, and uh, we, in many ways, sort of fell for it. And yeah. um, so um, 
you know, we, we certainly hopefully will be a lot smarter this time around. But, um, you know, we, ought to, we have to go in eyes wide open, yeah. learning from what happened in 2016 Correct. and hopefully being more smart in 2020. And informing yourself. That's right. And if I might toss something back at you. Please. If you want to have those public forums again, please do it. I'll help you out. All right. Okay. Because <laughs> that's the first thing that I thought about when I was reading. I'm saying, mm-hmm. okay, this... There's, there needs to be a forum. Yes. Because one of the things, I just have to say this, one of the things that really kind of, um, that I see mm-hmm. is that, you know, you're talking about uh, black people and, you know, that the media sources are and, and the black vote and what have you, but you're not talking to us. Yes. 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 You're, yes. you're not talking to the voters. You're not yes. talking to the community. So, I, I you know. I'm, I'm a fan of the public forums for you. All right. <laughs> and if you're ready to roll, right. I'm ready to roll. I know you can make it happen. I know you can. <laughs> I'm ready to roll. Okay, so listen. How did the concept of Red All Green Partnerships come about? Uh, yes. Uh, well, it's a story that goes back to Policy Bridge. Okay. Uh, 2009, we wrote a research report titled Rebuilding Blocks. And we were talking at that time, as you, as you can imagine, if you think back to 2009, that was the height of the foreclosure crisis. And uh, um, I lived it. Yeah. I lost my house in foreclosure, too. My well, there you, yeah. there you go. There you go. So that. so we were sort of saying, um, sorry to hear that, first of all. Yeah. But um, we were wrestling with uh, personally, I, I, I get ticked off when I read things that I think are false information enough. And a lot of that inspires me to want to write a research report. Mm-hmm. And what bothered me at, in, in that time frame was that a lot of folks were saying that the foreclosure crisis was going to lead to the demise of urban core neighborhoods mm-hmm. and uh, it's getting close. It's getting close. And, you know, and, and, and I felt like, wait a minute, urban core neighborhoods have had many issues and challenges. This is just a tipping point. Right. Uh, so I wanted to point out that, you know, uh, the population decline in Cleveland started in 1950 and, you know, we went from 950,000 people to all the way down to 380,000 today. I mean, wow, yeah, and that's a significant, a significant drop. drop. And then you think about over the years, you know, all the Catholic churches started to move out. And yes. um, I did some uh, work with the YMCA and challenged them. Why, why did you pull all of the Ys out of neighborhoods, yeah. you know? And then, yeah. then you say, um, you know, uh, if I'm a parent, and uh, there were three neighborhoods at that time when we wrote the report that had that every school, every Cleveland school in those neighborhoods were either in academic watch or academic emergency. So if anyone had the means, they're going to get their kids out of those neighborhoods. So that those kinds of things were contributing. So um, I, you know, the report kind of talked about that. And at the end, when we offer recommendations, one of the recommendations was if we're going to have. Uh, abandoned lots and uh, they were talking about the 10,000 homes that needed to be demolished in Cleveland. We said that's a lot of vacant land. We should think about how to repurpose vacant land and one suggestion might be to create urban farms because you could start to bring life and vitality back to communities. You can create job opportunities and uh, two of my childhood friends said, you know, after reading the report, Randy, that, that that's brilliant, and, and let's do it. Let's let's start a farm. And I said, well, t- time out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a policy wonk. I'm not. I'm not uh, looking. And they said, no, no, no. We that you know, makes a lot of sense. And uh, so uh, one one of the guys, Damien uh, Forche, was yes. a, a general uh, contractor, and he said, I could I could build the greenhouses and uh, pull permits and do all that kind of stuff. And then the other co-founder, Kima. Uh, Durden was um, already a twenty-year vegan, and he said, and he was a past owner of soul food vegetarian, yes, on Coventry. So he said, "I know how to prepare the food. I can teach people how to eat and how to eat." You know, so we said, "Well, you know, let's give it a go." So we went to the city of Cleveland, 
Well, actually, the first thing we did, someone said, if you guys are serious about this, you need to go and visit the godfather of urban farming, a guy named Will Allen yes, in Milwaukee. So we went to uh, Milwaukee, saw what he was doing. He had a five-month training program. We sent a few of our folks through his five-month training program. We came back, worked with the city. They actually sent us to the area known as the Forgotten Triangle yes. uh, and said, if you want acreage, you know, a con- contiguous acreage, that's the one place we can uh, point you to. The challenge was that it was uh, the most notorious illegal dumping site in the city for decades. and uh, For a long time. Yeah, so we, we had to contend with burned out cars and refrigerators and we uh, worked with the County Illegal Dumping Task Force to unearth over 2,000 tires. Wow. Uh, just in one little lot. Wow. Yeah, I mean... Because, um, you know, yep, because when you would ride the rapid, right. you would be able to see all That's that exactly, trash. That's exactly when right. When you were going downtown That's from right. Shaker Square. That's exactly right. I remember. Yeah, so we, we sort of started uh, on the journey, and um, but that's how we, we got it off the ground, and we started to bring other people, like David Wright and yeah. David Hester, who's uh, our... Um, we call him uh, in our comic book, Dr. Greenhand okay. uh, and, and lots of other folks. But we have a great team and uh, it's, it's just growing exponentially. I mean, there's so much going on there now. I, I have to pinch myself that, you know, looking back at how far it's come. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great location. Yes. Now, how does it feel to partner with childhood friends and neighbors on such an innovative project and idea? Well, it makes all the difference. Because um, when I read that, I said, that's such a great story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great little mini movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And we are working on a documentary. But, yeah, it's great. But um, uh, it, it is surreal, you know, to think um, that we grew up spending every day together as kids, you know, yeah. running around. We we uh, we like to say we, we've been business partners for a long time because we, we started shoveling driveways for money <laughs> when we were like eight or nine years old, oh, you know, and, that's and then all those years later, you know, here we are here working are. on this effort. And, and uh, the trust, which is so often uh, a challenge for organizations or right. initiatives, was, was never an issue. We knew we could implicitly trust each other, right. and we knew where uh, the other had strengths, and we would sort of divide up the work, and we always got it done, and... Um, it really has served us well, and people have really appreciated the fact that, um, you know, uh, people from the city of Cleveland came back, men in particular. Yes. Um, and so many people have commented on, you know, uh, we do have a, a two or three women working there now, mm-hmm. but it's always been a male-dominated uh, or organization or operation. Yes. And people come down, and they're just moved to say, wow, you know, people say black men can't come together and get things done. Look at look at what you're doing. I mean, we, yes. we've had people— Oftentimes, just break down in tears. Wow! Because they say, you know, this is this is the kind of thing I've always dreamed we, that our communities could be doing. You yeah. know, this is beautiful. This is vibrant. This is, you know, uh, uh, a sense of place. It's you know, it's creating jobs. It's creating hope. And uh, we need to be doing this everywhere. And you all have actually figured it out, and and you're doing it. And and my best uh, story of late is um, we often do a lot of field trips and uh, programs with schools. Yeah. And we had a second or third grade class come through in the little people, just little love people, them. yeah, little people. <laughs> love and the kid, and and the one little boy went back to school and uh, told his teacher that um, it was one of the best field trips he ever took because all of the bosses looked just like him. Okay, so you gotta I said, love yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I said, okay. that's, you gotta that's love that. That's real talk. That's real talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So gotta that's, love that. That was great. That's yeah. wonderful. So now, tell us about the Riddall comic book series, Green in the Ghetto, who created it and its use in educational, uh, environmental education. Because okay. you, know, you see I have my, comic, yes, but my yes. collection right here. Your collection. That's <laughs> impressive. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Brink City is a, a fun 
story. Um, so there was a, a, a fellow named uh, Tez uh, Martinez Garcias, and he actually worked. Uh, so the name Riddall, I should back up and say, yes, comes from Damien Forche's company. He he owned a company called Riddall Exterminating Corporation. So uh, Martinez Garcias worked for him as an exterminator for seven years, but was had this unbelievable talent for art and decided that he was going to give up exterminating and go back to school and actually went to Cleveland Institute of Art wow. and got a uh, degree. And then he went to Chicago and got a master's in art. But he was this brilliant graphic artist. And um, Damien was a big idea guy. And uh, Damien and his brother and Tez uh, came together to say, you know, we ought to do a comic book. And the reason we thought about that was we said, if we're going into urban core communities and trying to get kids right. in public housing and other places to eat fruits and vegetables, you, you just can't go in and say, kids, you have to eat your broccoli. You <laughs> right. have to, that's not going to get it. You have, right. to, you have to have something more creative. <laughs> right. So that, that's what led to the idea of a comic book. And um, the very first edition, three or four of the guys came together and just sort of thought out this concept of an alien coming, uh, falling from the space into a, a trash dump and uh, he kind of walks around and starts to bump into people on the street and starts to make observations about the environment and the lack of uh, care and concern that the the everyday citizens seem to have for um, their community and, and where they lived. And um, the great thing about it was um, Brink City means that the city is on the brink of destruction. Right. And uh, the superheroes in the comic book are everyday citizens that look like the people that these kids would see in their neighborhood. So you'll have a guy with cornrow braids who's like a genius at recycling or alternative energy, or you'll have um, another guy with his hat turned backwards that's um, you know another uh, expert in uh, right. soil or whatever the case may be. And so kids can kind of see the superheroes that they look for are among them right. in their that daily they are travels. The that they are. That's exactly they are right. The and um, the guys got cute and even uh, started to uh, write some of us in as characters. So. <laughs> So I'm actually a character in the comic book. Um, I wear a red vest okay. and a white shirt, and I'm known as INFO, which is an acronym for Intelligent Neighborhood Friendly Officer. Okay. So whenever they need to get to the power brokers or they need to solve a major problem, they always say, well, call INFO because he'll know <laughs> who, he knows everybody and he'll know, you know. Uh, Kima, our vegetarian, our vegan, I should say, is Veggie Man. Okay. So... He's uh, uh, always kids huddled around him in the comic book uh, to talk about healthy eating and, and that kind of a thing. And uh, I mentioned a guy named David Hester, who was our, uh, you know, green thumb, who does uh, all of our planning and uh, really is wonderful at that. Uh, we made him Dr. Green Hand. Okay. So instead of a green thumb, as we talk about, <laughs> he has a whole green hand. So he wears a lab coat in the comic book and has a green hand. And uh we released the comic books in schools and had essay contests just to see if wow. it would resonate. Wonderful. And the kids were writing such beautiful things back. And awesome. we said, they're getting the message. So yeah. that led us to continue to release uh, several copies of the comic book or versions. And um, after we got to about four, uh, Damien contacted a playwright out of L.A. who had Cleveland ties, uh, who had once worked for Caramu, and asked him to come back. And uh, actually take the first three editions of the comic book and, and write a stage play. Okay. Which he did, and we had it performed at the Caramel. We had a thousand, wow. we had a thousand people come to see the play, and it was amazing. Just based on those first three. What year uh, did that take place? If we started in 2011, it was probably 2014. Wow. Yeah, and then. Wonderful. 
we brought him back because we said we have to do something for the smaller kids. Yes. So he wrote another um, script for a puppet show. Oh. So we then started doing puppet shows. We had a contract with the library, and, and we had professional puppeteers going in and doing the puppet shows. That's We've, great. We performed it at uh, Parade the Circle and other major events. Oh, and yeah. uh, so all phases of uh, life are getting exposed to the, uh, the comic book. And it's been a big hit. That's and, wonderful. And we want to do more. We want to do more. That is awesome. That is great. And also, too, I want to. I read that the RID stands for Redemption, Integrity, and Determination. I think that's important yes. to say that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we, really? we, yes, we, uh, we didn't want people to think it was all about the uh, exterminating company. Right. Uh, RID, uh, we used to say um, RIDAL was ridding um, uh, uh, customers' home of, of pests. Well, we think that the RID uh, in the context of the farm is ridding our communities of a lot of uh, ills that have held us back and kept us sick and those kinds of things. So redemption, integrity, uh, you yeah. know, determination really speaks well to uh, the overall mission of the farm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. So now, what are some of the programs, classes, resources, and family activities available at Riddle? Oh, my. Because um, you got a we, lot going on. Yeah, we have a whole lot <laughs> going on. You do have a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Because I went to your website, you got a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's a busy <laughs> website. Yes. It is. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot going um, on. I'll say it this way, that we have um, a five-month training program for adults okay. that uh, we're now doing twice a year. Uh, it always ran January through May, but then we start a, a second class now that runs July through uh, October, November. And uh, so any adult that wants to learn how to make compost, how to plant, how to launch a business, how to, you know, do all the things that you need to do, um, they can learn it in that class. And we have maybe 22 in the current class, okay. uh, which is great. That's great. Um, we also have... Um, have had a lot of uh, of late veterans that have been signing up for this. Yeah, I was uh, going to mention that you do have a program for veterans right. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we also have done a lot with schools. Um, we have some, over the years, we've had some formal and informal relationships with schools. So lots of tour groups. Uh, at one time, we had a contract with the Cleveland schools where every third grade class would come through as a part of their science curriculum. Wonderful. And uh, I give uh, our late friend Dave write a lot of credit because he had to write a 32-page 32, 32 uh, curriculum wow. to align with the state uh, school uh, testing standards to ensure that it wasn't just a field trip when you came to Riddall, but there was actually some learning Going that on. could be tied back to the right. state test because we know too much of the emphasis is all about the state test. Um, we have, uh, over the years, done many, many special events at the farm, um, we have had uh, festivals. We have had I know, when concerts. Give a shout out to your festival that you had on September seventh. Yes, yeah, yes. That's where I came yeah, to talk that's with right. you. Yeah. And that was actually my my parents are deceased now, but that was their anniversary. They got married September seventh, nineteen forty one. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> well, thanks for yeah. spending it with us. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah, You're yeah. yeah. Fresh fest. We're it gonna, was great. Yeah, we're going to do it again uh, this year. Um, we had six thousand people come to that festival. Wow, because I got there early in the morning. Yes. Leave, but by wow, the, that's awesome. By the time the evening set and uh, Bismarck. And Bismarcky. Yeah, Bismarcky came was by. Yeah, it was on. <laughs> right. I mean, people just partied. At, it became yeah. a big dance floor. Wow. And, uh, and Bismarcky said, this is, you know, one of the best block parties. You know, I do this all over the country. This is one of the be best block parties. Yeah, because he's Please have major. Me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that was great. But we've had five weddings take place. Oh, no. We've had um, conferences, all types of conferences, um, uh, from the young young presidents organization to environmental organizations, where they may bring 
a large group of people down and uh, sometimes they'll set up a tent and just have meetings and uh, uh, we'll, of course, help to provide food because we do catering as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We are uh, in the process of actually building a new building on site. Uh, that will look a lot different since you were last there, maybe. Um, but it's going to be a farmer's market slash Wonderful. restaurant. Wonderful. And uh, we will teach cooking classes in the building. But we'll also, uh, uh, two or three days a week, actually serve healthy food meals. Oh, where people, be great. Yeah, so, be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the guys want to do fish fries on Friday because oh, okay. we have uh, uh, Tilapia uh, Farm right next <laughs> right. door. Um, and uh, they also want to do Sunday brunches. So, oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, so um, our gentleman, Kima, who ran that soul food uh, vegan re- restaurant, uh, d- it's definitely... Um, playing a key role with that. Uh, he and his wife and uh, Mark, our farm manager, and, and his wife are all phenomenal cooks. So uh, we um, we think that uh, this will be a, a big hit for us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there, and then there's all sorts of volunteer opportunities. We have school groups, church groups, uh, business uh, associations, college kids, I mean, all throughout the year coming down and spending a day learning about the farm, learning about the neighborhood, you know, uh, getting a little sweat equity and uh, helping yeah. to clean up and do whatever <laughs> they need to do. So that's been great as well. Yeah. So um, on any given day, you just never know what's going on, who you'll meet down there. Um, I, I know next week there's a, 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 a National um, Health Foundation that's coming down for a tour. Um, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the NFL Network there filming wow. us. They, they aired us uh, the week of the Super Bowl. Nice. They did a focus on Cleveland and some special initiatives happening in Cleveland, and they highlighted Riddall as one of those. So, you know, you just never know uh, on any given day who's going to be there, what's going on, but it's always something. That uh, is, that's for sure. That is awesome. Yeah. So now, why is Riddall's location in an area once called the Forgotten Triangle, now renamed the Agriculture Zone, important to the growth and development of Garden Valley Kinsman neighborhood? That area was the Forgotten Triangle because it sat for 30 years as this terrible legal dumping site. And um, Tim Tramble and the Burtonville Car Development Corporation had dreams and aspirations of cleaning it up, but... Um, you know, that can only go so far right. with limited resources. So they have been very supportive of our efforts because they see that we're bringing back the sense of place and we've cleaned it up. And if you've noticed, uh, they have now at the corner of 81st and Kinsman going down. Yeah, I, I know. The box I was, stop. I, yes. I, and I was right. with the box stop. But also I noticed when going down Kinsman just before you get to Grand, that dump that was there. Yes. I just noticed that's all cleaned up with the parkways and the water. Yeah. I know it looks fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, you know, one uh, sense of uh, hope can lead to... Uh, you know, other projects, other Absolutely. initiatives. And, uh, and and so we're, we're proud now to say uh, the Forgotten Triangle is forgotten no more. That's you know, right. That's because right. it's a changed place. And uh, there's a lot more that we want to do. We actually just acquired another five acres wow. between 82nd and 83rd. It used to be Kinsman Farm okay. uh, that Ohio State Extension Services used to run it. We are now taking that over. We're going to do a tree nursery, and we're also going to do a tree distribution because the city and the county both announced that uh, they're giving uh, several million dollars t- for the tree canopy. They want to uh, plant yes. 36,000 36, trees per year for the next 10 years. That's because excellent. Cleveland was, of course, known as the forest, forest city. city. Yeah. And the, from an environmental perspective, 
uh, Cleveland has um, a very, very high number of what they call, you know, hot spots. Yes. Where uh, because so many trees have died off and you have asphalt and kids are out playing and they're not getting the benefit of shade and, right. you know, the oxygen and all the other things, uh, benefits that come from having trees, you know, in your immediate space. So right. that um, hopefully will change. And we want to be on the front lines of uh, perhaps uh, helping to plant the trees, helping people learn how to plant the trees, maybe uh, developing a work crew and creating jobs that can go out and be a part of that. Uh, but the city and the, the county are very excited and uh, happy to have partners in this effort. So That sounds awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. So now what are Riddle's future plans for development and expansion? You spoke on that. I touched on a little bit. Yep. And how has the Newman's Own Foundation grant assisted in that progress? Well, Newman's Own and, and many of our funders just help us to continue to move forward. You know, um, we still have about 60%, 65% of our funding come from philanthropic sources. And uh, we're now, you know, 35, 40% uh, income that we generate on our own. Um, so without the philanthropic, you know, um, and people say, well, don't you want to just be a for-profit? Uh, and what I say to them is... Um, we wouldn't be able to do things like take the time out to tour, you know, school groups. Right. And, you know, if it's all about the bottom line, our, our folks won't have you time know, for that. Right. Exactly. They have to be all right. about, you know, making that making dollar. A dollar. Yeah. Right. But we're able to educate and open up the space for learning and, uh, you know, do things that are more community facing and community friendly. And yeah. so um, so we, we you know, we, we appreciate uh, all of the funders and uh, our plans are. To really continue to expand our compost operation, we want to do a lot more soil generation and distribution because we think that is um, a great, great opportunity, especially since we've had conversations with other parts of the world. We're talking with parts of Africa, Ghana, Israel. Awesome. Um, uh, Ambassador Andrew Young actually came to our farm. And, oh, that's fantastic. And he was very, very much interested in how do we get your soil shipped to other parts of the world that don't have soil. Mm -hmm certainly nutrient-rich soil, and uh, that's how we can start to, uh, you know, feed uh, the world, so to speak. So um, we, we want to do more of that. We want to get the restaurant building off the ground. We have already spun off as a separate for-profit business a fish farm. Okay. So that's yeah, yeah, been green building. Video about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we are, um, by doing that, we think we can get up to 100, 150,000 fish per year. Wow. Uh, to, uh, tilapia, we also... Um, We've we've experimented with uh, some good results with shrimp, so we want to maybe do some shrimp farming as well. So That's wonderful. We already have. Uh, yeah, you know, you know that'll be popular. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you'll, you will yeah, be, no you'll be running out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, no problem with that. So, <laughs> right. so uh, yeah, we just want to continue to, you know, build build out the campus, continue to offer more opportunities. We um, the last thing I'll say is we we also are getting involved in the carbon uh, space. There's an initiative called the Urban Carbon Drawdown Initiative, and it stems from the fact that all the global climate scientists have said that we've released so much carbon into the atmosphere, even if we were to cap what we're releasing today, there's still too much out there and that we have to, count in an effort to counter it, find ways to draw carbon back down out of the atmosphere. And all the experts and scientists say that the the one proven method that can do that is the natural environment. Nice. So planting trees, m making compost soil, planting, you know, bushes, uh, urban agriculture, all those kinds of things. So 
we're right at the center of all that work. And um, the gentleman who is heading up, it's probably 10 cities or so roughly that are a part of this. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman that is uh, heading up the effort came to Cleveland, saw Riddall, and was just blown away and said, oh, my God, this is the epitome of what we think this whole movement could look like in the urban core because everyone thinks about large forest areas and farms. But his argument and others is that there's a lot of opportunity in urban communities to do this work. Right, they're always thinking outside of the central city when it can happen right now. And not only can you help, you know, the urban communities from the carbon piece, but you also can create a lot of jobs because people will need to go out and do the plannings and do all this work. So there's a a win-win. So we actually helped to organize a a summit uh, in January where people from all those cities came to Cleveland, had meetings, visited Riddall. We have great local partners that have stepped up like uh, Environmental Health Watch and uh, the Western Reserve Land Conservancy yeah. and uh, Kim Foreman. Yes, yeah, yes, I, get a, yeah. I get her email. She does a lot of good stuff. Kim's a great lady. <laughs> she, she does a lot of great stuff. She's one of our top partners from yeah. the very beginning. We we every year we partner with Kim on uh, summer programs for youth. We've gotten EPA grants and other grants to just keep young people exposed to the environment and agriculture. So she's a great lady. But uh, we believe the, the the plan is to have Cleveland serve as the national demonstration site for what all urban communities could be doing around carbon drawdown. So uh, we're right now talking to uh, local and national funders and uh, planning more meetings. We have uh, this gentleman from Colorado is coming in next week, so we have more meetings with him. And uh, it's just, you know, it just goes to show that this this, uh, Riddall Farm is just taking so many different uh, directions, but all exciting and important. Yeah, uh, very, very exciting and very important. Now, what advice do you have for youth and young adults who aspire to positions of leadership and want to make positive contributions to their neighborhoods and cities? The advice I would have for youth is, uh, first of all, uh, pay close attention to what's going on. Um, be fearless. Um, it's, uh, as someone said to me a long time ago, it's, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, if you ask for permission, you'll be knocked down uh, more mm-hmm. times than you like. Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting that people revolt and do anything crazy, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying, if you have an idea for an initiative, don't wait around. I, you know, um, when I look at the generation behind me, and they all say they wanted to do something, but they always felt that they couldn't get the right person's blessings, so they never did it. Yeah. And um, I always said, well, don't ask anybody. That's if, right. If, if it's if it's Something's going to benefit the community. I mean, you're not out, you're not looking to hurt anybody. You're looking to do something constructive. Right. And, uh, maybe they'll support you. Maybe they won't. Um, I also tell them the story that when we started Policy Bridge, we had many uh, powerful people tell us not to do it. Wow. They said there's an NAACP and there's an Urban League. We don't need a, a, a black think tank. And uh, you guys are meddling and, you know, get out of the way and go. go. You're trying to make a name for yourself. And all that. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You know? <laughs> really? So, uh uh, I had spoken to the Urban League and the NAACP, and they both said, hey, we're, we advocate, but we don't do research. So if you guys are doing research, we, we could work together. We can take right. your research. It's a and help a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that just goes to show, right. back to missing in action, right. how we treat leaders and how, how certain leaders sort of uh, you know, rule with an iron fist. So um, I would just say to young people, again, uh, you know, follow your dreams, be passionate, Read, stay on top of the issues, uh, don't be afraid to step out and try uh, new things, mm-hmm. uh, know that there are uh, 
a lot of uh, seasoned individuals, including myself, that would be more than happy <laughs> That's right, to happy. help. And uh, don't feel like you're on an island. You're all alone. And um, I, no, no exaggeration, I probably talk to 40, 50 young people per year. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and, and they're always overly, you know, um, thankful and uh, appreciative. And, you know, they spend the first 10 minutes of the meeting thanking me. And I said, <laughs> And I said, no, really, it's, you know, I, uh, because they can't believe, oh, this guy's so busy and he's yeah. a corporate executive and he's yeah. taking time to meet. And I said, yeah. you're just as important as, yeah. you know, any other CEO well, or, you know. Well, that's what's special about you. And, and to use the old folks saying, your ears should be burning <laughs> because <laughs> I have said that about you. Oh, just well, in you. how I've gotten to know you. Oh, well, thank I you mean, very much. I mean, you really are inaccessible. I mean, everything yeah. that I said about you in the intro, I mean that. I appreciate in, that. In terms of what I've seen of you and how you handle yourself, you are a when very the, ex when accessible this is, person. When this is done, I need you to call my wife and read <laughs> that script one, one more time. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> No, but I appreciate. I really appreciate that, and I really do believe that we all have to hang together, and yeah, um, uh, we can do so much more together. That is absolutely yeah. true. Now, how how can people contact you regarding RPM, Policy Bridge, Ridall Green Partnerships to either volunteer, register for a program, tour the facility, or just simply donate? Wow. Well, uh, as far as Ridall, I would say go to the website. Because uh, everything, as you said, is there. Yes. Uh, we just did a major refresh of the website, and um, uh, it, it, it is quite uh, comprehensive. Um, it will show you the dates of our training. It will show you special events happening. Um, there's uh, an email address there or a phone number that you could call to get more information. Um, my um, email address, rmcshepard.com. Uh, at rpminc.com is where you can reach me to, to inquire about RPM activities or certainly uh, Policy Bridge or, or Riddall. Um, also, um, visit the Policy Bridge website. And uh, again, you can Absolutely call. Absolutely. Yeah. We have an executive director, Greg Brown, that uh, is able to answer questions. And uh, he and I both do a lot of speaking um, uh, to college classes and to sometimes conferences, forums, panels. You know, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. So if people uh, would like, um, you know, support in that regard, we're available. Um, yeah, so uh, not not a hard guy to find, but uh, <laughs> certainly want to be um, uh, a friend of the community and a supporter and just um, anything I could do, big or small, to, to move Cleveland forward, I want to do it. That is awesome. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Randall McShepard, for visiting us. I have enjoyed our conversation. Oh, I've been yes. so excited about it. Where did the time go? Where did the time go? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I would like to leave our audience with a quote from my guest today. Community change is impossible without community leadership. I want to thank our audience for stopping by today. We appreciate your support. Please join us again as we continue our conversations with Cleveland residents who are making positive contributions to their neighborhoods in our city. Visit Neighborhood Connections website to see all of our community engagement activities and opportunities. If you have a great idea and you want to do something positive for your neighborhood, contact Neighborhood Connections at 216-361-0042 or send us an email at www.neighborhoodgrants.org and like us on Facebook. Get informed. Get involved. Get connected. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today on Neighborhood Spotlight. Neighborhood Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections and the City of Cleveland Minority Arts and Education Fund in association with Bad Record Recording Studios. Executive producer, creator, writer, host, Carol Malone. Co-producer, Lila Mills. Engineer, James Cananan. Photography, social media, Vince Robinson. 
neighbor of Cleveland.